Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. just want to apologize. I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive and very stupid and I shouldn't have put other people in danger. I am so sorry for everything that has happened because in spite of what Joshua says, it's now all my fault. I insisted our listeners subscribe to Fright School on Apple Podcasts. I insisted they leave us reviews. I insisted that they give us a five-star rating. And it's all because of me that we're here now and we're being hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. I am so sorry. I only wanted to make good content for our listeners. I'm so scared. I'm going to die out here. Joshua, is that you? And where is the body? Jennifer's body. Yes, Jennifer's body. <laughs> I was like, Joshua, can I start? Uh, can I start the recap? Right. And now we are sued by. And now we're sued by Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I do enjoy that song. Isn't that in? Um, uh, to Wang Fu. Wang Fu. Thanks that's for everything. That's what I always. Julie Newmar. Yeah, that's what I always think about. Um, Ready for your close-up. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes, so today we are discussing 2009 uh, dark comedy horror movie by uh, written by Diablo Cody, directed by Karen Kusama, Jennifer's Body, stars uh, Megan Fox, Amanda Siegfried, Adam Brody. You Adam were very Brody. excited. You I was very, very excited, excited about Adam about Brody. Yes, I was like, ooh, yes, Adam yes. Brody is an, a villain. Yes, he is a villain. Amy Sedaris for like a hot second. Right? That's right. Yeah, I thought that was really Not cool. enough Amy Sedaris. No, not nearly enough. Because she's so funny in that where she's like, you know, uh, having night terrors or whatever. Like it's day uh, terrors. Um, it was kind of cool to see uh, Karen Kusama uh, pop up. She directed a segment of XX, which was the first episode of this season. Uh, she directed the Her Only Living Son, which kind of reminded me of Rosemary's Baby. She directed that uh, segment of that of the film. So I, I I found that exciting. You know. Yes, I was like, ooh, we're recognizing names. Yes, yes, yes. We have a little a little uh, tie in there. And of course, you know the the. The, the incomparable Diablo Cody and her yeah. writing. and yeah, she's great. It's, you know, I, I really wonder what she's doing now, and I really hope that she's, she, she has something that's coming out soon because 
Um, yeah. I that think. voice was really, like, it was so... I, so, okay. I love this film. And a reason why I love this film is because it's already kind of up my alley. Like, it's not... It's a horror film, but, like, not in that way. Like, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Um it's also like I love anything that takes place in a high school. I think that's why I really I'm really connecting with this particular module is that um, I do love that those those stories of like high school angsty stuff because I had like I experienced that but I didn't really experience it the way that you know kids in small town wherever these people are experience it and like that heightened level of it. So it's just hilarious how we've created with like thanks to John Hughes movies and teen comedies of the eighties and nineties, we've created like these archetypes of high school. Yeah. That absolutely. just get so magnified and are still like, you know, people still, um, people still relate to, I think that's the thing is like, I've always still saw them as kind of like, um, characters, hyperbolic caricatures of like real people. But I know people who like, yeah, that was my high school. Like I went to that high school from, from this movie or that was, you know, how, and that always boggles my mind. But initial reactions is that I loved it. I love the film. The writing is really clever and it's very irreverent in that way that I love. And it's so specific, like how they, how Jennifer and Needy talk to each other where they're like, you know, hey, Vagisil, you know, like, hey, hey, Monistat, hey, Vagisil, like, come on, like, who, of course, like, you're, if, if you have, like, close friends as they say they are in those, you know, sandbox type friends, you're going to have these really off the wall kind of things that only mean something to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I thought that was cool. Um, there were some really cool moments in, like, dialogue moments throughout um, and then I thought that the explanation of her being like a succubus was really good. Yeah. Um, because it was like, okay, she could have died, but like she, and I'm like, oh, but she's not a virgin. Like she said she was, but she's not. And then, you know, something comes back from beyond and inhabits, uh, Jennifer's body. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the basic, uh, story, hopefully if you're listening, you've seen it, um, or why are you listening? Go watch it and then listen. Uh, but you know, uh, Megan Fox character, Jennifer, you know, she's supposed to be sexy, popular, mean girl type, uh, gets picked up by local indie rock band who decide to sacrifice her to Satan thinking she's a virgin. Uh, but she's not, so all kind of bad things happen when you sacrifice something that's not a virgin. She becomes like this demon possessed creature. Uh, it's cool, like uh, her mouth like splits open. She's like a snake and mm-hmm. all kind of scary stuff. I love where she's lighting her tongue on fire. Yeah, and it's like healing back. Um, anyway, so what happens? Indie rock band. They go on. They have like success in a weird. <laughs> They have like success in a very weird. They like they they sold their. They basically made the Faustian deal to yes. ha- to have like success as an indie rock band, and um, they go on and have this. And like the song that they played uh, the night that they sacrificed Jennifer becomes like their big hit. And apparently, because it also takes place at like this tragedy in the town, like it was they visited the town, but also that bar caught on fire and like half the town died or whatever. Yeah, and then that song so becomes odd. through the trees. Like it becomes, <laughs> <laughs> it becomes um, a part. Yes. I know 
we I don't know when we watched we watched this a while back I know, and they I just still play it over it's over still over. in my yeah. head. Um that song is of Satan. Uh it but is. apparently the song becomes like the town's theme song and uh Adam Brody is great as like this like dickwad villain. Um, yeah, the lead singer of the band. Lead singer of the band. He's serving a lot. Like he looks like Brandon Flowers, the front man for yeah, um, the Killers. That's true. Yeah, he looks a lot like him with his guy liner and his pale skin. Oh God, just sit on my face already, for goodness' sake. <laughs> um, guy liner. <laughs> you know the thing or two about guy liner. I do. I do. I do. I do. Um, yeah, so I, I like the movie, you know, and I, I include it here and within this particular thing, one, cause yeah, it's, you know, obviously set in high school, it's got a high school vibe, uh, but you know, it's female led both with the monster, the creature in the movie is Megan Fox character. And then you have Amanda, um, how do you say, is it Seafried? I say, I've been saying Seafried. Or yeah. Seyfried. I say Seyfried, but I don't think that's right. I don't know what it is. Uh, but she plays Needy. Um, um, Anita. Yeah, Anita. That's it. Lesnicky, which is like the best name. My name is Needy Lesnicky. <laughs> Lesnicky. And Jennifer Check. That's Megan's character, Jennifer. Uh, so they're like besties, which I like. Um, you know, I like that they're the leads. I like that they're sort of this... Um, there's like a, a sexual tension like between them, you know, and then it kind of comes, it's, you know what kinda I mean? It kind of comes to a head, but like then it, it's a complete non sequitur though. They kind of, I mean, I think that Diablo Cody was trying to, you know, I've, I've seen this, um, you know, and other things like, like that there's like an intimacy in female friendships that doesn't really exist the same in like male friendships, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think there's, uh, well, there's that episode of Will and Grace where Grace gets the massage from the neighbor lady that she mm-hmm. feels goes a little too, you know, and then goes the a little like, too far. She's like, "That's how women are. We're you know touchy feely, you know. We're we're that's what don't makes you us, have women friends, right? So it <laughs> makes us better than men, you know. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of I think sort of you know what's happening in Jennifer's body a bit, you know. Although I think it's also trying to. Um, it's exploiting the male gaze a little bit, yeah. or like subverting the male gaze. I should yeah. say. Yeah, it's trying. Um, because you have, like, you know, Amanda Seyfried is not, like, is not unattractive, and she's kind of a, a leading bombshell in her own right. But you have Megan Fox, who, you know, it's so interesting, her whose body is hypersexualized uh, by popular culture at that time. Thank you, McGee and Michael Bay in um, and Transformers. But, um, yeah, you have her, like... Um, you just have her like this, like super sexual, and then like taking it to that next level, and then uh, that that whole that whole scene was awesome too, because like she like gets in the Which bed one? where right before the kiss happens. Oh, between where, Needy, where, between Needy and Jennifer, she's yeah. all, she's like in the bed, and then she gets out and she's like, "Hey, Needy," I'm like, "Ah!" I was like, "You always let me sleep in your bed when we have sleepovers." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And oh, go ahead. Um, no, I was gonna say, you know, something. This is coming from. Uh, Diablo Cody, you know, who wrote the wrote the the screenplay, you know that it should speak to female empowerment, explore the complex relationships between best friends. Um, Karen 
this is a quote, Karen and I are both outspoken feminists. We wanted to subvert the classic horror model of women being terrorized. I want to write roles that service women. I want to tell stories from a female perspective. I want to create good parts for actresses where they're not just accessories to men. Um, a key reason for writing the film was to bring to the screen a new way of expressing the intensity of female bonds and that the adolescent female friendships she experienced were unparalleled in their intensity, showing um, the almost horrific aspect of such devotion and its relation to parasitism. It, <laughs> I mean, it definitely does that. Uh, right? It does that. It does that. And I... Oh, I, the opening uh, state, Hell is a Teenage Girl. I yeah. love that, the opening. Uh, but anyways, the... Um, yeah, I think that's very. I, I think that the the film does succeed in that way. You know, obviously the the main like antagonist is Jennifer going around eating everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially these like hulking like football types, and you know the guys who are always like the the hero kind of role, mm-hmm. um, and she's just like mowing through them. <laughs> it's interesting because you know with with the little we see. Of Jennifer before the transformation, yeah, it's it's interesting because like she basically isn't any different. It's just like she is a she's just more, like she just is already more. Because yeah, even because even when needy when they're getting ready to go to the club, you know, like oh, when it means something very specific when Jennifer says, "Look, wear something cute or whatever." Oh, right. It means yeah. like wear. Wear this, but don't wear that. Wear nothing that's going to threaten her. You can show your midriff, but you can't show your boobs because boobs are her thing. Like, right. She wants you to be presentable, but yeah. she wants it on her terms. Yeah, looking at like that sort of hierarchy between, yeah. you know, especially in high school where you do have that, where there is the, you know, again, the queen bees and wannabes yeah. kind of vibe, you know. Um, but see, the thing is, I don't think, I didn't get the vibe that Jennifer was this like queen bee because they only showed her in relation, she, they only showed her with Needy the entire time. Yeah, but I think if you look at like cues in the movie, mm-hmm. so like, you know, she She's out there. She's in the cheerleading squad, mm-hmm. you know, right front and center, you know, at the very beginning. Um, you know, Needy makes that comment. Like, you know, if you looked at us, you'd wonder why we were best friends. But, you know, the sandbox love thing kind of trumps every uh, kind of trumps all of that. Um, you know, I also don't know if there's some of that pl- at play of like, um, you know, where. Jennifer's like the super hot popular friend and then she keeps needy around to make herself feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, that's looking at like the parasite relationship kind yeah. of thing where, you know, they are both getting something out of, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, well, which one is the parasite actually? Which one is using who? Yeah. You know, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing because I feel like Jennifer, she keeps needy around because it's this constant unending source of validation. Right. That, you know, as insecure as insecure as she is, she's constantly being validated by this one person. Yeah. And who and it's a um someone who will like does anything for her, will go to bat for her. And she just needs that. I mean, you know, it's I think it's no surprise that her name's Needy. Right, right. Um you know, but then again, I don't know. I mean, she also is the only one. Needy's the only one with a boyfriend. So, like, Jennifer doesn't have a boyfriend. Right. That's she, true. She, she, she has. She lost her virginity, but and is willing to like sleep with other guys. But she's not willing to like make that commitment that Needy has. And she sees, you know, she sees how happy she is. Even though, even before the transformation, there's a little bit of jealousy you can see 
with her and um, um, Needy's boyfriend. I don't know his name in the film. I just keep calling him Young Neil because that's the same actor <laughs> from uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, but yeah, he uh, th- and then you have um, you know to completely go off topic, uh, a young um, bit part by uh, oh, Chip. You're talking about Chip. Yes, Chip. A young bit part by um, Chris Pratt. Uh, you have a young Chris Pratt playing um, what I imagine is uh, somebody from his hometown <laughs> in uh, rural Washington. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I like have everybody got it. Uh, who who else was there watching it? Johnny. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and so we're all watching it. Everybody gets excited, like, "Oh, it's Chris Pratt!" I'm like, "Don't get used to him. No, he's not there for long. <laughs> he does not. He doesn't last very long in the movie." Um, but yeah, I think that's probably a good point. You know, just base it on somebody you. <laughs> just like yeah, it was like oh, I'm like oh, we got that that hunter hat with the yeah American Ugh. flag on it. I'm like oh, like definitely someone from his hometown. But but yeah, I it was interesting to see that the, the relationship between the two of them, and I was like I was like asking Joshua, I'm like, is this a, is this meant to have like queer undertones? Because it definitely I feel it does. I mean, you know, I'm also a little biased because I feel like I'm always looking for queer undertones in any film yeah, that I watch. True, uh, but you know, it was a, you know that the knowing look that she gave. Um, Jennifer in the concert when she grabs her hand and like you know is so excited to be there with her or at least excited that they're there together is just fascinating Um, but yeah it's interesting because I I would definitely say that um, you know it's maybe not so much parasitism as like a symbiotic relationship because they're both getting something from it and it may not be necessarily good or healthy, but they are both receiving something from it. Um, you know, Jennifer getting that constant validation and then uh, uh, Needy getting that, you know, she has this, she has that kind of superiority that she has the, she has the popular friend and she knows the popular friend better than anybody else. And I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. Like I know very well what it's like to be needy. Um, that sounds mm-hmm. weird <laughs> to be, um, the character of needy and to have that kind of like friend where you're friends with the person who everyone wants to be friends with, but you know that like you occupy a very special place in that person's heart. Yeah. So you just kind yeah. of like, you know, live in that and, you know, thankfully, None of my friends have tried to, you know, eat my boyfriends or um, <laughs> or anything, but uh, I'm ready for it. So um, to kind of go back, what you're saying is, again, like, I'm not sure if like because of the type, because they're both women, you know, we're we're looking. I mean, we can analyze and interpret, you know, queerness from it. But again, I think that Cody, like, she talks a little bit, again, um, about it, saying that um, there's a sexual energy between the girls, which is kind of authentic, because I know when I was a teenage girl, the friendships that I had with other girls were almost romantic, were almost romantic. They were so intense. I wanted to sleep at my friend's house every night. I wanted to wear her clothes. We would talk on the phone until our ears ached. I wanted to capture that heightened feeling you get as an adolescent that you don't really feel as a grown-up. You like your friends when you're a grown-up, but you don't need to sleep in the same bed with them and talk to them on the phone until 5 a.m. every night. (laughs) 
you know, and, and further that, you know, if it had been a man and a woman and they're, they're in this kind of really intense situation mm-hmm. and that kiss happened, it wouldn't be seen as, mm-hmm. you know, gratuitous or wouldn't be seen as being, you know, all that out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. So she's just kind of putting it in the context of like this very intense relationship mm-hmm. between these two girls. But she also says it's yeah. a hot scene. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of push back on that a little bit just because, you know, I mean, I, I know she's coming at it from her perspective as, you know, being have being a cisgendered woman. Yeah, yeah. But I also like felt like I had those kinds of friendships um growing up. Like I wanted to be with my friends and in this very like mm-hmm. visceral way. Maybe not inside. Other boys. Uh, other girls and occasionally there was a time with other boys, but then I realized that that was like a, that was like a, uh, a sexual attraction that I could not name at that time. I had no, I had no language to explore. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like I, I didn't, I always used to say that this one boy was like my first crush ever. But when I really, when I got older and I really started thinking about things, it's like, no, it's actually like several years back when I was in eighth grade, there was, or seventh and eighth grade, there was a boy who was the real like person that I really like had those intense feelings for. But I did have, um, and I still do, um, my, my really good friend from Guam, her name is Bianca. Hi, Bianca. I don't know if you're listening to this. (laughs) Hello. You should be listening to this. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely, like, we talked on the phone for hours on end about God knows what. And it was just, it was so interesting to be, like, those, to have that kind of friendship where mm-hmm. um, you you were seen. I think that's yeah. the one thing, too, is that, you know, the, the intensity of those kinds of friendships comes from, like, a... Um, you know, this idea of chosen family and yeah. you, you're, you're seen, you finally are experiencing someone who sees you not the way that your family sees you or your parents see you, but they see you as like this new person. And you also, at the same time, you also are showing them what you want them to see. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like you're, yeah. you're putting an image before. No, of course, you know, but you're, you know, yeah, your friends are kind of, because then, then they're part of the cohort you're in, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, so culturally you're more relevant, you know, to like, you know, what it is that you're trying to say or what it is you're trying to be. I mean, I guess I ha- I, I did definitely have that. Um, it's something I think I still crave, you know, now as an adult, because when I was younger, like I did, I had very close friend Lindsay, um, Nicole, you know, we had sort of our own little cabal you know kind of thing you know we would be out all night long and you know we would you know stay at each other's houses and you know we did we explored a lot of it you know and and all of us were were queer you know so we were exploring that in our own way um you know at at a young age trying to figure out you know oh when we get out of this town we're gonna do this this and that Mm -hmm. you know the the, you know and, and, and seeing trying to find ourselves reflected in you know media um, and so now that I'm older, I still kind of seek that, like that, um, connection, particularly with women that I've always felt very safe in. You know, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about this on the last episode about, you know, um, or actually, I'm sorry, maybe I'm getting myself confused, but we had a conversation about like yeah. being queer and, and sort of kind of having a different understanding of what it's like, to, um, to, to operate in a society that, uh, so it's so obviously sexist and misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and we learn early as queer people to, you know, that, or as queer males at least, that people are very afraid of the feminine. Um, you know, so I think there's part of me now, 
I still I crave a girls night, you know, and I mean like just me and like a group of women friends, you know, yeah. and, and having that kind of same energy. There it is different, you know. Yeah, same. There is there is an intensity I think between women that that I don't really think that men have. And I don't and I don't know if that's because of like oppression and patriarchy and all mm-hmm. and all the ways that we're like socially conditioned and yeah. the ways that so many things about women have been made secret or have been made, you know, so there is this almost um there is something that they're in on yeah. that we're not. There is a, like a literal feminine. Mystique. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's been, I feel, forced like culturally and, and socially over you know thousands of years. And so. the, something interesting about that too, because you know, I also like you crave like a girls' night. I crave mm-hmm. like a night where we just you know sit and kiki and talk and you know like commune of some sort and have this like general you know coming together. Yeah. So I cra- I crave that as well, and it wasn't until um, it wasn't until a couple years ago where I found that same satisfaction in like a group of men, like a group yeah. of of gay men, and yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh, like I felt so it was so foreign to me, but it also was also very uh, similar at the same time. Like it was yeah. very very comforting because I'm like, oh, these are men who um, these are people, human beings who know like a part of my identity and my experience very intimately because they are also experiencing it in a very similar way. Right. And ever since then, I've been trying to get back to that. I've been trying to put myself in more situations to be, um, to have that kind of fellowship, uh, with queer men. But, um, and that kind of came out of like a necessity where, uh, I'm just telling my life story at this point. That kind of right. came out of necessity <laughs> where, um, I was at like a, I was at like a thing where I was the only man. And then I was asked to like, kind of leave, to be because they wanted it to be like just uniquely a girl's night and I was like okay that's fine like I have no qualms with that because like that's this is what you wanted to do yeah but at the same time like okay like well now where do I fit in like where I can't like it's hard for me to commune with other males to begin with so I need to find like that tribe um, and I thought that, you know, to bring it back to the film, the, the film kind of did a good job of, of capturing, um, capturing that kind of need to belong without like hitting it on the head. Cause I feel like a lot yeah. of like, or like being so on the nose about, it, I should say, cause I, I feel like a lot of high school, uh, high school themed movies are always kind of dealing with these, these concepts of like identity and right. uh, identity and where, and where are we going and you know, who, uh, where do we fit in? Where do I belong? And it was just, it was interesting to see like how that struggle, but without it being like so explicit, you know, like yeah. here, here's needy. Not only is she like her boyfriends in the band and these two kids, like they're basically the quote unquote, like, not cool underdog kids, but they're also like super happy with who they are. Right. They're super happy and very comfortable and they know who they are. And, and even like the needy with, um, the emo kid who's like, Oh yeah, he's a great writer. Like all of that stuff too. Like that was, it's just so comfortable with who they are. Then the person who's like the least comfortable who ends up being, you know, the monster is Jennifer. Yeah. No, absolutely. There was um there there's a scene in the movie where even though she's kind of, you know, she's a monster, you know, or whatever, but she's sitting in front of the mirror mm-hmm. and like putting her makeup on, you know, kind of smearing it on her face, but she's all like hollow and sunken eyed and mm-hmm. um there was this sort of right like, before the prom or the winter formal, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um so I like there's a comment on here. Um 
again by Diablo Cody, you know, uh, so I, I said earlier that it opens with the phrase hell is a teenage girl, you know, kind of reflecting the horrors of puberty and the hellish emotions felt during high school often reappear as teenage girls mature into young women. And so she says there's a scene where Jennifer's sitting alone make, uh, smearing makeup on her face. I always thought that was such a sad image. She's so vulnerable. I don't know any woman who hasn't had a moment sitting in front of the mirror and thinking, help me, I want to be somebody else. And what's extra affecting is that Megan Fox is stunning. Uh, yeah. You know, so she's already, you know, she's this you know, quote unquote, beautiful specimen, yeah. you know, bombshell, um, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Fitting into all of the, the, mm-hmm. you know, the ways that society tells one what they should look like, you mm-hmm. know, and, and what, you know, beauty is. She obviously is fitting those standards and, you know, in the movie, she's not afraid to look really horrible in moments, you know, she's all like, you know, especially when she's uh, not eating, you know, yeah. she hasn't gotten another, a fresh body. Um, you know, but she is such such a beautiful woman, yeah. and there are like yes, really sad scenes where it's clear that she's like struggling with being who she is. Yeah, I think the the most telling was um, when Needy was like, she looks starts to look bad, but like bad for her, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, like yeah, her hair is like greasy. Us, like others, yeah, hair yeah. is greasy. She's breaking out a little bit. Like it's not. <laughs> I mean, in the grand scheme, like I spent half my life looking like that. Right. Like I sometimes still I look like that right fucking now. I <laughs> the fact that she as I say, just sometimes you look like Megan Fox. Uh, you know what? Like, Occasionally, occasionally, awesome. I wake up and I'm like, "Ooh, Megan today." <laughs> um, but yeah, in that moment, she's just the most vulnerable, and you have yeah. like, you feel sorry for her, even though like she again, she's a succubus. She's a succubus. Um, she <laughs> looks the way that she does. You know, we, we we empathize with her in that moment of like, yeah, we we wish we were someone else too. Yeah. And she like literally wants to be something else. She wants to she wants to be this monster and, you know, feed and um, you know, yeah, it's I, working for her. Yeah, it's good for her. <laughs> I I I kind of picked this up later cuz I think she said something about like the guy in the emo kid, but I guess she only fed on men who were hopeless. Like she said, I need you to be hopeless uh, because the reason why she feeds on the football player and the first football player is because he's like completely sad about yeah, losing about his friend. Death, yeah. And then something happens where the second guy like feels hopeless. And then the third guy, she chip, she's just like, Oh, you know, needy's been cheating on you. And now let's go cheat on her together. And like, you sound like you're pretty hopeless. Um, I wish they talked a little bit more. I mean, like, I, w- I could kind of infer that there was a connection, psychic connection between them, maybe because, like, Needy, like, has taken some of her blood when they were kids in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. But I wish they kind of explored that psychic connection a little bit more or where it's a little bit more explicit about it. Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure what they kind of meant, you know. I mean, there's that moment where she's in, in bed with Chip and she's like, oh, Jennifer's here. And she's like, how do you know? She's like, I just do, you know. Mm-hmm. The... I feel there is something, I mean, that doesn't even have to necessarily be like magic. When you spend a lot a lot of time with somebody, you do kind of, yeah. you know, it's weird. It's yeah. like you get. Well, your cycles, you know, for women, their cycles are well, also lining up if yeah. they're in together. I mean, I'm also reducing this to very, <laughs> I'm very like, I'm being careful. I'm doing reducing this to very like, but like, you know, when you're in the company of people for yeah. a long time, like you can kind of gauge them and, and see what's going on. I mean, I I would not presume to do that with you, but I can kind of like, you know, 
Yeah. I can kind of tell what's going on when I'm coming over or, um, you know, when we're texting or whatever. I can, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's why I think about, like, with, you know, Jeffrey. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, it's, you know, I never lose him. You know, like, if we go somewhere and we split up, it's like I can find him pretty easily. Like, I know where he'll be, you yeah. know, or things like that. It's just, you know, it's kind of stuff like that, you know, like where you... I just think that's natural in like long term relationships, whether they're friends or family. Like yeah. you just you really get to know people, you know. Um, happens all the time where you pick up the phone and I call somebody or I text. Oh, I was just about to call you. I just was thinking about you. You know, it, I don't think that's coincidence. I think that there are, you know, again, it's forces intention. You know, maybe that mm-hmm. maybe it can be, you know, kind of tangible sometimes. Um, but still, regardless, within the t- context of the movie, yeah, maybe they could have explored a little bit more of what that connection, you know, was. Obviously, she picks up some of the power from her. Yes, which I thought was a very, and that whole ending was really good, yeah, really well done. The ending was great. I like how it opens up, and she had been like, you know, put in like that mental institution for murdering Jennifer, obviously. Mm-hmm. But then, like, yeah, she gets out to go you know, kill the, kill the yeah. band. That's like, it's so good. And how it ends, you know, with that. Um, Cause the song's named for, for a whole song. Courtney loves band whole mm-hmm. uh, Jennifer's body, but they don't, um, that's not in the, the movie they use. Um, what's that song? I think Violet. Uh, but anyways, it's just, it's great. Like the music and, and, Oh yeah. And her just, but it's like, it's all the still photography of like the band dead in the hotel room. It's it's the ultimate thing too. I mean like, you know, eventually, eventually the devil gets his due. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that it's, you know, it's a long term kind of revenge fantasy, you know, too, in a way. Like, you know, or it's not, you don't think that's where the movie's going. You know, like the way it opens, like, you know, with it starting with her in the, yeah. So it's just, it's kind of, and still, like, ex- like exacting revenge, not just for Chip, but, like, also for, like, what they did for her, to Jennifer, to her friend. Yeah, to her friend. yeah somebody she did care about, you mm-hmm. know, um, even though that evolves throughout. Because Jennifer becoming a monster isn't what makes Needy, like, stop being friends. It's the realization she was always she was always kind a monster. Of a monster. Yeah. yeah. And that her literal, you know, succubi status has very little to do with it. <laughs> and that, and that's kind of something that happens in life a little bit yeah. too, you know, like when you're when you're preteens, prepubescent and you know, all of a sudden you're going through the changes and the hormones as they right. say in maybe if I Greek wedding. And the hormones are happening to you and then, you know, it's like, oh, it's this is not you're seeing people in a new light, you're seeing yeah. people but it's you're seeing them in a new light but they kind of always were that way. You're just seeing them yeah. for who they really are at this point. Yeah, I think that on both sides we it's easy for us to excuse things, you know, excuse behavior rather than say they were kind of always like that. Like somebody who's going to, you know, drop you to go be with people, quote unquote, who are better. Well, they're probably always were like that. Yeah. You know, and maybe you just excused it a lot more. Exactly. (laughs) But then you can blame money or you can blame, you know, a new job or you can blame whatever you want. You know, you can find excuses to, for people like, well, they weren't always like that. Well, I don't know. Probably a lot of times they were, <laughs> which is kind of what that what it's saying. Um, you know, I, I I just think at the end of the day it's a really fun movie. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, it's not it's not a big a heavy like thinking movie. No, you know, like we are like ascribing a lot of like meaning <laughs> meaning onto it, but it was yeah. also made with a very specific intention. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I, I think Diablo Cody is a is 
was, you know, trying to say that, like, you know, I brought up her quotes in, in mm. particular because I think they apply to what it was I was trying to kind of bring up about, about the intensity of relationships, of friendships, you know, and that sort of um, high school awakening that happens where you are becoming an adult and you are starting to see your friends for who they really are and maybe you know, making different choices. What were you going to say? Oh, uh, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, you know, you, you're, you start to realize that maybe you need to disassociate from these people in order to like fully grow. Yeah. And then to like, be who you are, to be who you are mm-hmm. and the struggle, the, the struggle of like, okay, well, you know, if I, if, if I continue down this path, then I'm, am I limiting myself and then, you know, you pick and you choose. Yeah, you continue down the path, you limit yourself, or you can break free. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think growing up, especially, you know, another thing in this movie is Devil's Kettle is where it's said. It's supposed to be like a small, hick town, you yeah. know? it's it, Which is so easy for that to happen, where it's like you have to be friends with the right people. And if you're not friends with the right people, then that makes you the wrong people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you, you do try to you know, you're forced, you know, you're encouraged to make sure that like, cause I kind of went through that. Um, cause you're from like a small town. Yeah. I went to, I was part of a lot of small towns growing up. We moved around a lot, but always little, you know, tiny fucking places where, you know, and, and that, and so for me, I saw all the same archetypes like that, you know, all of that stuff, you know, you have the popular kids, you have the poor kids, you have the rich kids, you have the nerdy kids, you have the druggy kids, everybody, Every high school is the same. It's the same archetypes because we're taught it through the media, you know, or or it's just the natural order of things. Whatever it is that encourages, people do kind of stay the same. So I always felt sort of like outside of that, you know. But the last high school I went to had that. I it had it in a in a more intense way mm-hmm. than. Um, any high school that I went to before any school that I went to. It was just a, a, you know, a very small town where people really did like know everybody and everything about everybody. <laughs> and like the PTA and all was like this, you know, very particular group of moms whose daughters were all the most popular girls in school. You know, it was just very, uh, it was so stereotypical, like so perfect, mm-hmm. you know? And I was sort of, I was an out queer gothy kid. I was very, you know, like I've said on the podcast before, very outspoken, very blunt. For some reason, a lot of the popular kids liked me. Like it was weird. It was like, I was sort of, I was sort of like a, what do you want to say? Like an infinite, infamous person or mm-hmm. something. Like <laughs> you were like, it was like negging. You negged them, and they were like, "Oh my god, you're so attractive!" Right, exactly, you. precisely. I was like, I do not want to be friends with you people, but they wanted to be friends with me. It was just a weird kind of experience. Um, but there was so much pressure, though, to make sure, like. You know, one time I said something really nasty to like somebody on like the baseball team, and it's like everybody's. We have to talk about this because you can't like talk about this person. Like I can talk about whoever I want, however I want. Like I don't care. Yeah, that you all have lived. But in he's this a town. star baseball player. Right? Like, who exactly. gives a shit? But it was like that kind of stuff where like yeah, yeah you kind of there were times where you kind of felt pressured, like you know. Like, mm-hmm. there's a problem if you don't like this person. I'm like, mm. I have a full-time job and, like, yeah. you know, work for a living and have to be worried about real problems. Yeah. Like, you're bullshit. So, <laughs> you know, so I don't know. It was just an, an interesting experience. And watching this movie always kind of, like, reminds me of, like, that of, you know, wishing that I had uh, been possessed by a demon and, and <laughs> eaten some people. No. 
<laughs> I was like, what if you, if you stumbled upon supernatural powers, a lot of people, <laughs> you catch a case, a lot of people would be. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do not. Yes, I'm glad that there's no, that there's no. Um, you have no ESP. Or that. Yes, yeah, yeah. It would have been very dangerous when I was a kid. There, I don't know. I think we said this in Carrie. Like, yeah. I'm glad I don't have like Carrie's powers yeah. and I would raise those towns to the ground. <laughs> Absolutely. Raise them. To the to dust to dust, dust. literally the Burn house you down. down to dust. Uh, <laughs> oh man, was I can't this, think. <laughs> was this talk even like <laughs> valuable? Have we contributed to society? Uh, anything? I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't think of a better place to stop than there. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways, Jennifer's body. Awesome movie by Diablo Cody. I don't think it got great reviews when it came out. I think it's become sort of a cult classic, but it's really brilliant. And in the realm of like, you know, female uh, led horror, it's it's one of the best from, yeah. you know, um, and like the you were aughts. saying, is that what you called the it? The aughts. Yeah. And like you were saying, and like it's female led in, in a very like a female writer, female director, female leads. Like that's it's definitely a film that you should you you should have in your have in your Halloween rotation at least. Yes, have it in your Halloween rotation. And Megan Fox is a gorgeous woman, so yeah. I will say so, beautiful. You know, it's it's fun to watch her uh, eat football players <laughs> with her giant snake mouth. <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, happy nightmares, folks. <laughs> we'll be back next we'll be back next time with uh, your regularly scheduled nonsense <laughs> Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 